Stuff Podcasts. Hi, it's Michael Wright here, and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff, a podcast that showcases our best long form writing. This episode's story is called The Madness and Genius of Terrace International Airport. It was written by Stuff senior writer Mike White, who joins me now. Hi, Mike. Hi, Michael. How are you? I am good. Uh, Mike, tell us a bit about this story. It's a little different to most of the others we featured on The Long Read in that it's more of a news feature. So what was the news that started it all? Okay, so in July last year, news broke that Christchurch Airport had decided to build a massive airport in Terrace. And a lot of people wouldn't even know where Terrace is. It's in central Otago, sort of up the road from Cromwell and down the road from Wanaka. And what they'd done is they'd spent $45 million buying 750 hectares of land to build a new international airport that would take wide-body jets. And... For everyone, when that was announced, it was a complete shock because why would a, a, an airport company in Christchurch be building an airport in a neighbouring region? I came to the story because I knew Terrace. I'd spent time there before and I'd written stories about it and knew some of the people living there. And I just thought, this is too bizarre for words and decided to have a bit more of a look at it. This, I'm sure some listeners will remember, this was a big story at the time, especially in central Otago. You spent a bit of time there to report this story, so without further ado, and with a little strong language, here is Adam Dudding reading Mike's story, The Madness and Genius of Terrace International Airport. Malcolm Johns was nervous. For months... Christchurch Airport had been anonymously buying farmland at Terrace in central Otago to build a massive airport right under the nose of their biggest competitor, Queenstown Airport. Time and again, their agent had gone back to the farmers and upped their offer. Nearly 400 kilometres away, Johns, the Christchurch Airport CEO, was sweating they'd be outed before the last farm was bought and the deal closed. If Queenstown Airport got wind of what they were doing, they might try to thwart it. And there was a budget they had to stay within, otherwise the project would have become unviable. To minimise the risk of their plan becoming public knowledge, only a dozen airport executives and board members had any idea about the terrorist scheme. The plan was codenamed Project Oscar, because in aviation's phonetic alphabet, Oscar stands for O, and O stood for Otago. The airport company three quarters owned by Christchurch City Council and one quarter by the government, had been working on it for two years. Air New Zealand and others had long stated Queenstown Airport couldn't cope with exploding tourist numbers and Central Otago needed a new airport. The idea wasn't new. Alternatives to Queenstown's picturesque but short and fraught runway had been mooted for 30 years. Four separate reports were written. A new airport at Mossburn in northern Southland got consent before being overturned on appeal due to noise and visual effects. Queenstown Airport investigated numerous sites. Terrace wasn't even in the top two due to prevailing weather, fog, connection to the region's towns and the eye-watering cost. In the end, it decided a new Greenfields Airport didn't stack up and instead opted to increase flights into Queenstown 
and developed nearby Wanaka Airport, which it also operated. But Johns and his Christchurch team saw things differently. They believed only a brand new airport would solve congestion problems at Queenstown Airport, and this would be more attractive to airlines flying into tourism's heartland. It also gave them the chance to claw back passengers lost to Queenstown after the Christchurch earthquake and act as a bulwark against any expansions by Queenstown. It was something never before done in New Zealand's aviation scene, stealing into another region and trying to take their business from them, all at a time when the country was arguing for fewer tourists and air travel was being vilified as one of the worst culprits for greenhouse gas emissions. Christchurch's plan was either ballsy or mad, but until they'd sewn up the land they needed for a 2.2-kilometre runway that could handle bigger, wide-body jets, those with two aisles and three sections of seating across, everything was at stake. Adding to John's nerves was the knowledge several other consortiums were scouting sites for a new airport. John's remembers he was having dinner with his family in early May 2020, when he got a text from his project manager saying they'd reached an agreement with the last landowner they needed. After spending $45 million, they now had 750 hectares of flat terrace farmland between the Clutha River and mountains made famous by Shrek the Sheep to build an airport on. New Zealand was still in limited lockdown, so there were no team celebrations, John says. Just relief and excitement that reached this first milestone without word leaking out. He began preparing to announce the project publicly at the end of July. Crucial people were quietly contacted, press releases were drafted. But a week before, Peter Newport, the editor of Queenstown News website Crux, got wind of the land sales and contacted Christchurch Airport. We got sprung, Johns admits the airport hastily issued a public statement confirming the rumours. Suddenly, the secret of Project Oscar was out, and all hell burst loose. John Harris was busy in the winery at Maori Point Vineyard that morning when Peter Newport walked in and asked to interview him about the plan for a new airport across the road. Harris had to ask Newport what he was talking about. Billy Marsh was at the checkout in Queenstown supermarket when a friend called... Have you heard? I'm so angry. It was a bolt from the blue, remembers Marsh, who bought her terrace property near the proposed airport 25 years ago because she thought Wanaka was getting too busy. Richie Pierce and his partner Sonara Ferguson were watching TV that night when they saw a reporter standing in terrace and heard about the proposal for the first time. We thought it was an April Fool's joke, says Ferguson, from their house overlooking the proposed airport site. That evening, locals' phones lit up as bemused neighbours sought information and support. A public meeting was organised. While there had been previous chatter about an airport at Terrace, everyone thought it had been ruled out. Nobody suspected Christchurch might move in on their area, not even the farmers who'd sold them land. Because this was Terrace, a place most New Zealanders couldn't point to on a map, a place so small the state highway only slows to 80 kilometres an hour, yet just big enough for gossip to get skewed before it reaches the town boundaries, a place of corrugated iron sheds, stone walls and quaint gardens. 
There's a cafe, store, school, vintage homeware shop, merino shop, two toilets, and 24-hour petrol pumps for those arriving over the Lindis Pass from Mount Cook. On the side of the store is a blackboard with Welcome to Our Lovely Little Village on it, where visitors have chalked their names. Svetlana from Moscow. Josh from Wanaka. For years, people have come to the area trying to eke a living from dry soil and brittle rock, from gold miners in the 1860s to the farmers who followed them. Christchurch Airport was just the latest speculator with dreams. John Harris was similar in that sense. The 80-year-old former Otago University science professor bought 28 hectares of useless farmland beside the Clutha River in 2000. He expanded it into a successful vineyard with his wife, fellow Otago professor Marilyn Duxon. Just months before the airport announcement, the couple shifted into a new house on the property, imagining they'd live there for the rest of their lives, making Pinot Noir, planting natives, and eventually handing it on to their children. Now, we'll have a nice view of the airport from our bedroom and bathroom, says Duxon. If it went ahead, says Duxon, we would go. We wouldn't stay. As a purely financial transaction, all those people coming for tastings at the winery would do brilliantly. The land values will probably go up because there will be demand for things like petrol stations and takeaways and quarantine facilities, but it's not what we want. And I don't think it's the kind of experience our high-level tourists want. The couple felt caught in a pissing contest between two antagonistic airport companies and were astounded that government and Christchurch City Council remained silent on something with enormous ramifications for the whole country. A few kilometres downstream, on the Clutha's edge, Billy and Wayne Marsh have turned 20 hectares of willow and weed jungle into a beautiful home and farmlet. We came here for the peace and quiet and to get away, says Billy, who's 67 and who's a past president of Rural Women in Taras. And here we are, minding our own business, and this happens. Now we've got it hanging over us and we've got all this work to do to battle against it. Wayne is sceptical the airport will ever happen, bringing more tourists into an already stressed region, more greenhouse gas emissions from more planes, the cost of building it, the cost of upgrading roads and bridges leading to it, the difficult council consent process, all seem stacked against it. But Billy remains concerned. I don't think they'd spend $45 million without doing some homework. If it did go ahead, they'd leave. We know it as this, Billy says, sweeping an arm in an arc over the snow-streaked Pisa range and the path of the Clutha. The change would be so extreme, so we couldn't accept going to that. On the other side of the valley, amongst schist tours and wild thyme near Bendigo Station, Richie Pierce and Sonara Ferguson's living room window frames the proposed airport. At worst, the flight path will be directly overhead. At best, it will go down the valley just west of them. A year ago, they opened two tourist cabins, and Pierce says there's no way their guests' experience and sense of isolation wouldn't be affected. He believes most locals oppose the airport, and he's willing to help fight it. You just won't recognise Taris, he says. It's really the fact it can just come and destroy a community like that. I think it'd be a travesty if it could get bulldozed through. 
Yvonne and Neil Martin shifted from Christchurch to the Queensbury Hills above Terrace two years ago to run a bed and breakfast and dog daycare. They're still Christchurch ratepayers and are astounded that $45 million isn't being spent improving Christchurch as a destination at a time the city was desperate for tourists. I can't understand why the hoteliers and hospitality industry in Christchurch aren't up in arms about it, says Neil. I'd be going to the mayor asking, what's going on? Why are you allowing this? What's Canterbury's tourism agency doing about it? Every small town south of Christchurch would suffer if tourists flew into Terrace instead of Christchurch, he says. Nobody's going to say, oh, let's backtrack to Geraldine. Yvonne says visitors they hosted felt Central Otago was already overcrowded and it was spoiling their experience. Yet Christchurch Airport intended funneling even more tourists here. There's just no national vision, she says. No national leadership about where New Zealand needs to go with its tourism. Local communities want to control and manage their growth. They don't want a corporate raider coming in and saying, this is what you're getting. News of Christchurch Airport's strike into central Otago shocked almost everyone. It was like, whoa, didn't see that one coming, says Dunedin Airport Chief Executive Richard Roberts. It's unprecedented and it kind of put a lot of people on their ass. like, where did that come from? Roberts struggles to understand why another airport is needed, given there are already three internationally capable airports within three hours of each other. Queenstown, Dunedin and Invercargill. Is there already capacity, he says? The answer is yes. Okay, so why are we building this airport? The answer is, I don't know. Roberts blames the culture of competition in New Zealand's tourism sector for what's happened, with 31 regions encouraged to battle each other for visitors. I think always, always, everybody is better together. I see the lone wolf as an inefficient way of doing what we need to do. While Terrace might steal passengers and flights from Dunedin, Roberts says he's never been approached or had any discussions with Christchurch Airport, despite John's insisting they have. Nor has Colin Keel, Queenstown Airport's chief executive, who heard about their challenges plan via the media. Having considered Terrace and other Greenfield sites, Keel was perplexed by Christchurch's decision. Even now, he won't call it a proposal, preferring proposition. Because as he puts it, it just doesn't stack up. Keel says the Lower South Island is well served by its current airports. He points out new airports weren't on the government's list of so-called shovel-ready infrastructure projects, indicating national transport priorities lay elsewhere, such as roads and rail. Aviation entrepreneur Ewan Wilson, who established Kiwi Air and is now a Hamilton city councillor, says the terrace proposal was, quote, a survival strategy, given the business Christchurch Airport had lost to Queenstown. This is commercial egos at play, he says. This is aeropolitical, geopolitical manoeuvring. Ten out of ten for the first strategic move, but by gosh, before you start doing anything, you'd better be willing to invest heavily in a very well-thought-out business plan. And you don't want to get that wrong. Malcolm Johns was 29 when he took the plunge in 2000 and set up his own tourism business, organising tours to Canada for Australasian couples. Then 9-11 came and people got scared of flying. Then SARS came and there was an outbreak in Canada. In 2003, with the writing on the wall, 
he sold his house to pay his debts and avoid bankruptcy and closed the business. But by the following year, he'd been appointed chief executive of the tourism and transport group Intercity. Then, in 2014, he shifted to Christchurch to head up the airport company. At that time, Christchurch Airport was on its knees after the earthquake, with a huge drop in tourists and flights, most of it bleeding away to Queenstown. But the earthquakes allowed the airport to shake up its business, cut staff, cut costs. They invested heavily in developing the commercial area around the airport, which includes the Novotel Hotel, a supermarket, a Bunnings warehouse, and a large New Zealand Post hub. All this activity led one Christchurch councillor to label them a, quote, property developer in drag. When calls came for a new central Otago airport, Johns felt a unique opportunity was being presented. The more they looked at it, the more it made commercial sense, from four angles. Firstly, central Otago's population was booming, and the new residents were frequent flyers. Second, there was a strong productive sector which relied on air freight, but 90% of it was currently being trucked out of the region, at significant cost, because Queenstown's planes were too small. Third, Christchurch was missing out on surging tourist numbers. In the ski season, airlines with limited departure slots in Sydney and Melbourne were dropping flights to Christchurch and replacing them with extra Queenstown flights. And, with their forecasts suggesting that by 2040 there could be 2.5 million passengers coming to central Otago that Queenstown Airport wouldn't have capacity for, Christchurch Airport wanted a slice of that pie. And fourth, the inability to fly bigger, more efficient planes into Queenstown meant higher carbon emissions at a time when airlines were desperate to reduce this. After speaking with airlines, Johns and his team were convinced only a new airport would solve Central Otago's problems. They came up with two possible sites, Hawea Flat and Terrace. But Hawea was much closer to a dense population and flight paths were more constrained by mountains. So we opted for Terrace as the optimal site, says Johns, and we set about purchasing that land on the open market. At best, it will be 10 years before planes are flying into Terrace. Three years to plan it, three years to get consent, three years to build it. At any of these stages, there might be things that make the project unviable or impossible. Tourism might not pick up. They might not get consent from the Central Otago District Council. Construction costs could balloon past the estimated 400 to 600 million. Just weeks before he announced the Terrace project, Johns told a reporter, there's no doubt this is a risky time for aviation and tourism. But he's adamant that sometime in the next 50 years, the numbers and need will align, and an international airport at Terrace will be built. We're not going anywhere anytime soon, insists Johns. The plan is to own the land for at least 75 years until the project is viable. Let's say Queenstown reaches capacity in 2030 and you go ahead and develop Wanaka, Johns says, and that reaches capacity in 2035. What do you do after that? We'll still own our land. At some point in the next 50 years, Terrace will hit a trigger point where it makes sense to invest in developing it into an airport. As a company, Christchurch International Airport Limited is worth nearly $2 billion. If listed, it would be among the top 20 New Zealand companies. So, John says, banking $45 million worth of land and leasing it back to farmers isn't that significant. 
Johns has always insisted Taras can coexist with Queenstown Airport. But there's no doubt Christchurch's plan is calculated competition. Its situation was clearly laid out in its 2020 statement of intent. Quote, Christchurch International Airport's position within the New Zealand aviation market remains under pressure, it read. Our growth is not keeping pace with national growth, therefore we are losing market share. But the terrace plan also has roots in bad blood between airports, and outward corporate bonhomie is belied by bitterness. In 2010, 25% of Queenstown Airport was sold to Christchurch Airport's biggest rival, Auckland International Airport. The rest remained with Queenstown Lakes District Council. There's no question, says Johns, that if the good folk of Queenstown had put their shares in Queenstown Airport on the open market, we would have bid for those shares. That didn't occur. It was a private sale to Auckland Airport. And had there been an invitation to co-invest in new infrastructure in that part of the world, would we have been interested? Absolutely we would have been. But there wasn't. Snubbed, Christchurch Airport kept Queenstown in the dark about their central Otago plans, then sprang the Terrace project on a stunned opponent. Queenstown Airport believes booming tourist numbers can be soaked up by expanding Wanaka Airport to take jets at a cost of up to $400 million. But everyone agrees there's no room for Terrace and Wanaka, 20 kilometres from each other. If you build both airports, one or both of us has to be dumb, says Johns, and we're saying we're not dumb. Look, I'm not sitting here saying we made the right decision and someone else made the wrong decision. I'm saying we made an informed decision. And we have a plan. Having spoken extensively with the 11 airlines currently flying into Christchurch, Johns says nothing's keeping him awake, thinking he might have made a $45 million blunder. Local wisdom is that Christchurch paid roughly double the land's value. Right now, he says, there's a competition of ideas in play. I think as a country we should embrace that, not resile from it. The need to find $600 million or more to build the airport isn't keeping Johns awake either. They could fund it themselves or partner with someone, he says. It's too early to think about that. However, since announcing their land purchase, Johns says they have received numerous approaches from the capital and airport sectors offering to invest in the project. But I just want to be clear, he says, there are no deals in place with any foreign officials or any foreign banks or any foreign anything in respect of tariffs. Moreover, claims that Christchurch Airport was in financial trouble were plain wrong. True, COVID-19 would have a severe effect on revenue. It had cut operating costs 25% and implemented a wage freeze and still forecast an after-tax loss for 2021. And true, its debt had risen significantly from $407 million in 2018 to about $600 million in 2020, but the levels were completely reasonable for a $1.8 billion business and still left $1.2 billion of equity. The fact it won't pay a dividend to its shareholders for several years was because of COVID-19 savaging its profits and had nothing to do with the tariffs purchase. Johns acknowledges negative rumours were occurring because they didn't have a business plan yet. It might seem extraordinary to spend $45 million without this, but Johns says all they have is 750 hectares of farmland and a good idea, and now they wanted feedback on how an airport at Taras could work. Already they'd spoken with about 100 residents and hoped to come back to the community with details of things like runway layout and flight paths. 
But winning over terrace locals is hard, due partly to the fact that the farmers who sold their land believed the purchaser was a horticulture operation looking to grow cherries. Some of these landowners are distraught they've now helped bring an international airport to the district. Johns is confident their agent didn't mislead anyone, as the person dealing with the farmers didn't know Christchurch Airport was the buyer. He acknowledges the sellers now have to live in a community largely opposed to the airport. However, nobody had offered to give back the money. It was an open market transaction with a willing buyer, willing seller, he says. Nobody got duped. Despite not having a detailed plan for the airport, there's no doubt Christchurch Airport did plenty of research on the terrace site. But how much homework they did on those whose properties surround the proposed airport and whether they came across Chris Goddard's name is unknown. Chris Goddard describes himself as a reformed miner, having spent 26 years working for resources giant Rio Tinto, mostly in Australia. I earned my spurs turning loss-making coal businesses into profit-making coal businesses, he says. Goddard has mined uranium in Namibia and iron ore in Western Australia. He's been involved in building two large airports and knows all about community consultation. On February the 28th, 2020, Goddard was farewelled by his Rio Tinto colleagues at a leaving function. The next day, he flew back to New Zealand and joined his wife Donna on their eight-hectare section bordering the Clutha River. They began planning a sustainable life off the grid in what they thought was paradise. Now, an international airport at the end of their driveway threatens all that. Given that Christchurch Airport had been hard hit by COVID-19, Terrace was a gamble, Goddard says. And if they're gamblers, they're gambling with someone else's money, ratepayers and a consortium of bank debt. In all the very big businesses I've worked for, investing $45 million without a plan is absolutely unheard of. The chief executive would have called me up and called me an idiot if I even tried to spend $1 million on a land acquisition with no plan, and I'd have been hauled into either the state or federal government for a please explain. But Goddard says that Christchurch Airport appeared to have a different approach to other aviation companies, given how they'd had to fight to recover from the earthquakes. They've developed a culture where they go and do stuff, he says. Goddard looms as a major barrier to Christchurch Airport if it wants to do Taris. Quietly spoken, well-prepared, logical and passionate, the 48-year-old has emerged as the spokesperson for Sustainable Taris, a grouping of those opposed to the airport. It has already held public meetings and presented its views in Christchurch. Coincidentally, it includes former Environment Court Judge Shona Kenderdine, who turned down the Mossburn Airport proposal in 1994 and now has a house in Terrace. It will take the heart and soul out of the Terrace village and school, says Goddard, turn it into just another truck stop on the way to Wanaka or Queenstown. Christchurch Airport calls it the gateway to the south. I think they want to make Terrace the doormat of the south. While it might seem easy for a big company to steamroll a sparsely populated central Otago community, Goddard says his past life has prepared him well for the fight. I've been the juggernaut, and I know the weak spots in that strategy. The court of public opinion is a real thing, and I have faith in my own capability of getting the court of public opinion to really make the airport's life shitty if they take that path. His experience with New South Wales' Bulga people, who forced major concessions on a proposed Rio Tinto mine, gives him confidence, he says. They taught me that a David and Goliath battle 
still has David winning. Not everyone in terraces against the airport, Goddard accepts, with some wanting more details, but Christchurch Airport's secrecy in buying the land means locals don't trust the company. When you start with deceit, he says, it takes a lot to claw back the community's belief you're a genuine, authentic organisation. Goddard sums up his mood as fearful. The uncertainty is what gets to you, he says. The uncertainty of what to do next. Life's for living, not for fighting airports. Donna Goddard worked in IT for years and says she understands the need for change. If there was a strategic decision made across New Zealand that this is the right thing, then we'd say okay and do whatever we had to. But what we've got is an organisation driving a change into this region that doesn't belong here, and it's driving this change for the purposes of making money. It's just such a kick in the guts. On the other side of the airport's land, three kilometres up the Ardgore Valley, Beau Trevathan is scornful. Not at the airport, but those who've leapt to oppose it, the newbies and nimbies. He's just come off the tractor after a day making bailage. Got a little bit achieved, the 69-year-old sighs. His grandparents arrived here in a horse-drawn wagon in 1913, and he now farms 160 hectares of dairy support and deer. When he went to Terrace Primary School, there were 80 pupils. Now there are 14. What I've seen in the last 40 years is a very strong community almost diminished to nothing, he says. Not long ago, we used to have a tennis club, a rugby club, a cricket club, indoor bowls, a badminton club, small ball rifle shooting. Today we have two clubs in Terrace, a golf club with about 15 active members, and a collie club that meets twice a year. People lived so much their lives in Wanaka or Cromwell, Trevathan says, that when it came to debating the airport, there wasn't really a community to split. In his mind, the airport would be a godsend, helping farmers export their produce, providing jobs, bringing young families into the district, boosting the school. It'll put it on the map, he says. At the moment, who's it is on the map anyway? It's all part of an evolving world. We can't stop the clock just because we live here and we like the way it was yesterday. It's very easy to jump on the bandwagon and say, don't do it. We went through it all when somebody suggested building a dam on the Clutha River. Now I can't find anybody who says this valley's worse off as a result of the Clyde Dam. The old days would still be today if it wasn't for the Clyde Dam and we'd still be in the backwaters. Trevathan's son Johnny is on the farm now and the fifth generation of Trevathans is due in 2021. Bo hopes to still be around when the first planes fly into Taras. The opportunities will just be enormous, he says. And we're not here building a wall, trying to stop something just for our own selfish interests. Christchurch Airport's foray has consequences far beyond Terrace. In Queenstown, Mayor Jim Bolt is clearly fuming, calling the intrusion immoral. Because both Christchurch and Queenstown airports are majority owned by their councils, Bolt says it means one local body is competing against another. And I'm not sure that's what councils are supposed to do, but we've been forced into it because our neighbour from a bit further up the island would like to have a share in what's happening in our part of the world. Ironically, Bolt was chief executive of Christchurch Airport from 2009 to 2013. 
He says his successor, Johns, is now trying to foist wide-body jets on a region that's clearly shown it doesn't want them. Bolt suggests Christchurch Airport should be making its own city more attractive for visitors rather than trying to nick something from its neighbour's patch. The way he sees it, anyone flying into Taras will still want to come to Queenstown, 70 minutes away by road, meaning hundreds of millions of dollars would need to be spent improving the two routes, over the Crown Range or through the Kauro Gorge. This tourist travel, along with workers commuting from Queenstown, Wanaka or Cromwell to Taras Airport, would create significant carbon emissions. I think it would be a financial and ecological disaster, says Bolt. Even if they reached the limited flights into Queenstown and Wanaka, there's a perfectly good airport at a place called Invercargill, says Bolt. So why would you go and build another one? Invercargill has the country's third longest commercial runway and would need only modest improvements to regularly handle jets from overseas. It's also closer to Milford Sound than Queenstown is, and an hour closer than Terrace's. Bolt predicts a new airport would cost close to a billion dollars. If you ask me whether I'd put my own money into it, not a show in hell. And he was surprised there hadn't been more reaction from Christchurch ratepayers whose airport was spending money on a high-risk venture out of their district. Christchurch Mayor Leanne Delziel, who's refused to discuss the issue with Bolt, also refused an interview with staff instead issuing a brief statement saying the council understood the plan and Christchurch Airport was a standalone business. Christchurch's tourism and development head, Joanna Norris, also wouldn't answer questions on the potentially dramatic effect of diverting tourists from Christchurch's hotels, shops and restaurants to Taras, saying she hadn't seen any economic analysis. City councillor Sam MacDonald understands there is concern about the Taras proposal but says... From my point of view, and it's probably a selfish view, it's about driving the best return we can for the ratepayer of Christchurch. While he appreciated residents' frustration about $45 million being spent in another province when their water pipes needed fixing, McDonald says they have to trust it would pay off. The mayor at the heart of the controversy is Central Otago District's Tim Cadigan. At the moment, he says, I'm being Switzerland on this one. Cadigan only learned of the terrace plan 30 minutes before it was announced publicly. He's staying neutral for two reasons. One, his council may well decide if the airport gets resource consent. And two, the range of views within the region. I've got fruit growers saying to me, Dreamliners flying into Terrace to get cherries to China. What a great thing. But if you'd bought your piece of paradise in Terrace, thinking you'd live in an idyllic lifestyle, you'll have a different view. And councils always get stuck in the middle. I've got 23,000 people and 23,000 different viewpoints. The plan to build a new airport when international tourism has been shut down has been branded madness and bizarre by commentators who predict it will be years before the industry recovers. But do New Zealanders want tourist numbers to return to pre-COVID levels or exceed them, which is what Christchurch Airport's plan relies on? In the five years before COVID, there was a 40% increase in the number of international tourists visiting New Zealand, to around 4 million annually. There are estimates that this could grow to between 10 and 13 million by 2050. Queenstown was already creaking, with 3.2 million visitors a year. A 2019 tourism industry survey showed the consequences of this. 
43% of respondents believed international tourism was putting too much pressure on the country, up from only 18% just three years earlier. In Otago, that rose to 69% of residents and 76% in Queenstown. A majority of New Zealanders felt predicted increases in international tourists were too high. In December 2019, Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment Simon Upton issued a report clearly laying out the pressure tourism was causing and how increased numbers risked killing the gold goose, the environment that tourists visited New Zealand to see. And in November 2020, Tourism Minister Stuart Nash strongly called for tourists of higher value rather than backpackers, parroting the value-over-volume maxim that has pervaded New Zealand tourism discussions for decades. Upton warns against thinking COVID-19's pause on international arrivals has changed anything. Instead, it provided the opportunity to rethink tourism long-term. While not being drawn on the tariffs proposal, Upton says turning the tourism tap on again would disappoint him. If you want tourism to continue, and you want also to protect the environment, and you want to keep the social licence, then you can't go on doing it as you have been doing it. In June 2020, the government established the New Zealand Tourism Futures Task Force to advise it on these issues. But the country has seen a string of similar reports and strategies full of talk about sustainability and coordination and dispersal and planning. And the result was 40-minute queues to take photos at Wanaka's Roy's Peak. Michael Ross, who's led opposition to Wanaka Airport's expansion, says this example of the region's over-tourism wouldn't be solved by an airport at Taras. Instead, it would have a, quote, dramatic negative effect on everyone living between Cromwell and Wanaka. The major elephant in the room nobody seems to be talking about is greenhouse gas emissions, Ross says. An airport can say, we're going to be the most environmentally friendly airport ever built, and we're going to have electric baggage trucks and recycling bins, but by building an airport, they enable and permit these great big aircraft to fly with these massive emissions. Ross laments the lack of any strategy or plan for such important national projects. If this is just done on a piecemeal basis with different corporate interests battling for their slice of the golden goose, you could end up with the ludicrous situation where you have six international capable airports in the South Island. That would be utterly absurd and logistically, environmentally, infrastructurally irresponsible. He says it needs central government to take a strong interest and work out what's in the best interests of New Zealand the best interests of tourism, and the best interests of climate management and environmental impact. I mean, are we committed to sustainable tourism, asks Ross? Are we committed to a climate change emergency? What do we want for this precious part of New Zealand? It would be useful to know the answers to these questions. However, requests for interviews with five government ministers covering six relevant portfolios, tourism, infrastructure, transport, climate change, finance, and state-owned enterprises, were declined. Instead, the ministers offered written statements, effectively wiping their hands of the issue, saying it was a matter for Christchurch Airport's board. The fact that the government owns 25% of Christchurch Airport, and 50% of Dunedin Airport, which could be hit by the tariffs proposal, and appointed two of the board members who approved the tariffs plan, seems unimportant. It also seems to fly in the face of 2019's New Zealand Aotearoa Tourism Strategy, which said, The government is taking a stronger role as the steward of the tourism system to improve coordination, planning and sustainable funding, and even mentions its role in international air services. 
It's difficult to see how this hands-on promise fits with the government's decidedly hands-off approach when confronted with Taras Airport, one of the largest pieces of national tourism infrastructure proposed for decades. Moreover, Tourism Minister Stuart Nash's statement that he, quote, expects the wider tourism industry to work together on major structural issues facing the sector, unquote, appears wildly wishful thinking given the outright competition between Christchurch and Queenstown airports, and the fact Christchurch hasn't spoken with any of the three other main airports in the area, or Queenstown's mayor. Economist Shamabil Iakob says for more than 30 years, New Zealand governments had been indoctrinated to avoid getting involved in such issues and instead leave it to the market and competition to sort out. But I think with COVID, he says, what we're seeing around the world is there's a role for government to step in because markets aren't perfect, because rules and regulations aren't perfect. While he could understand Christchurch Airport wanting a piece of tourism's gold mine, Jakob says New Zealand already has far too many airports for 5 million people. If you were a central planner, would you want another airport being built in New Zealand? Of course not. If you took a wider perspective, is it good for New Zealand? Is it good for net zero by 2050? Of course not. So the joined up thinking isn't happening yet. Jakob says it's impossible for the public's values to be reflected in companies they ultimately owned if government and councils refused to exert any influence on their behalf. So we're disempowered as a population, he says. The government is disempowered by its culture and political norms and we're left in no man's land. Malcolm Johns has ready answers for the critics and doubters and little doubt in himself. The bigger, more efficient planes tariffs would allow could reduce carbon emissions by up to 30% per tourist. COVID-19's effects would last only two years and tourist numbers would grow rapidly again, especially given New Zealand was seen as a pandemic oasis. Tourists will continue coming to central Otago and it doesn't matter where they fly into, they'll want their photo at Roy's Peak. New Zealand could either cap tourist numbers or build more infrastructure to deal with them, but there was no industry like tourism that could boost regional employment and generate foreign paid tax to help pay what we've spent combating COVID-19. And that's always going to be very attractive to any treasury, reserve bank or government. While tariffs might suck some tourists from Christchurch, Christchurch Airport's passengers would still grow as the conference, events and cruise ship market came back online. If the existing airports at Dunedin and Invercargill were such obvious alternatives to flying to Queenstown, why hadn't tourists wanted to go there in the past? And anyway, considering existing airport infrastructure wasn't his company's concern. Of course, the project is commercially motivated. If there's no money in it, we're not going there, John says. It's just part of growing a business. It would be a bad look for government to intervene in their business, given Christchurch Airport was required by law and its shareholders to be a standalone company. When his young tourism company went bust, John says he lost the fear of failing. Now he is simply motivated by the possibility of succeeding. It has the ring of a Tony Robbins pep phrase, but John says Terrace is a rare opportunity for long-term thinking something New Zealand seemed scared of when it came to infrastructure. When the first plane lands there, he says, I don't expect to be there unless someone remembers me and invites me, but I'm damn certain if a plane never lands there, everyone will remember me. I don't have a custodial feeling over this. It belongs to a lot of people, but I'm fully prepared to be accountable for it if it turns out to be a dud. 
Numerous factors would dictate the project's progress, many of them beyond John's control. And yet, he says, we'll get flailed along the way and I'll get called all sorts of different things. But what I know, and the thing that's important to me, is that I had the courage to have a go. John Hillhorst says building an airport at Taras is a brilliant idea, as long as you close Queenstown Airport. For two years, the retired Queenstown teacher has been part of Flight Plan 2050, a group calling for Queenstown Airport to be closed. It wants the land used for high-density housing to stop urban sprawl along Lake Wakatipu and a new airport to be built elsewhere in central Otago. The group had also identified Taras as the best location, and Hillhorst says he was one of the few unsurprised by Christchurch Airport's move. The fact Queenstown's airport company and council had failed to properly investigate this option astounds Hillhorst. But it was actually a godsend for them, he says. Now, somebody else would pay for a new airport, allowing the council to sell the airport land at Frankton and net close to a billion dollars to invest in Queenstown's infrastructure and services. Additionally, they wouldn't need to spend money expanding Wanaka Airport. Hillhorst likens it to someone needing to extend their house because their family was growing, but not having enough land, so they planned to build another house down the road. And then somebody walks in and says, hey, I'll build you a house on a bigger section and I'll let you live in it for free, for life. And you can now sell your house for a shitload of money that you can do a whole lot of good with. Having competing international airports at Queenstown and Taras would be crazy, Hillhorst says. But at the moment, decisions were being made by these commercial companies that would have far-reaching effects for New Zealand, while the government said it had no role in ensuring coordination and cooperation. It is, he says, an absolutely atrocious situation. That was The Madness and Genius of Terrace International Airport on The Long Read from Stuff, written by Mike White and read by Adam Dudding. This episode was mixed by Sam Scannell and produced by me, Michael Wright. Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on The Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening.